It's great to be here with you this morning. Uh, you see me sitting down, it's because, not that I'm lazy, uh, I rolled my ankle the other day and so I'm doing it to be good and so uh, if you want to know the story, I'm not telling you, my ego is not there yet. So uh, the Lord apparently wanted me to be humble, but, but it's great to have you here. Uh, many of you have been praying for our trip, uh, mission trip, who went to Zambia and uh, I got this picture I want you to be able to take a look at that they saw this morning as they got ready to fly out a little later. How cool is that? Doesn't look like he's just like posing. Sort of interesting, sort of a lazy rhinoceros. But, uh, but they have, I can't wait for them to come back and uh, be able to share their stories with us. Uh, I've, I've been able to hear briefly about some of the great things that happened while they were there at Children's Nest. And thank you so much, those of you who've been praying and helping them get there. Uh, they left this morning and they get back tomorrow night. Gives you an idea of the flights that they're still on. Um, from Livingston to Johannesburg, Johannesburg to London, London to Philly, Philly to Rochester. So please pray for them as, they, uh, as they're on their flights and uh, that God would use them in the midst of all that travel as they're on their way back here. So once again, thank you for their continued prayer for them and can't wait to, to hear their stories when they're back with us. Well, it's hard for me to believe, but we're only uh, two weeks out from uh, finishing up this series, Christ, this series, Christ in the Psalms, our summer series, where we've been really looking at what some Bible scholars have broken into eight categories of Psalms and use that as a launching pad, if you will, just to look through the book of Psalms a little bit. And this morning, we're going to look at a psalm that's called a, a Shagayon, a Shagayon. And a Shagayon's an interesting psalm. There's only one Shagayon in the entire book of Psalms, and that's Psalm 7, we're going to look at this morning, a psalm of David. Um, Shagayon, we're not really sure exactly um, why it's entitled to this psalm, but we do know that in the Hebrew, it gives us this idea of a wild and passionate song. And when we, when we have Psalm 7 read to us, as we'll be listening and following on the screens in just a minute, the entire psalm, um, you'll see that, that Paul, uh, David is, is certainly giving us a passionate prayer. He's letting us in on sort of this ability to be able to, what is his prayer, and to be able to look in on it and see his passionate prayer for, for God. Now, I said there's only one Shagayon in, in the entire book of Psalms, but there's two in the Bible. Uh, the last uh, book, uh, last chapter of Habakkuk is also a Shagayon. You'll find it there. And so that's, what's that going to do for your life? Nothing. But I just thought it was sort of interesting, thought I'd share that with you. Uh, but this morning, as we jump in into Psalm 7, I thought it, was, it would be great to, to hear it in its entirety before we look at it within its sections, because it is just a powerful, real prayer. And that's one thing I like about Scripture. If, if I was to write the Scripture, I'd only write good things. I'd only write like clean things. And, and when you hear David's prayer, it is just a real prayer from his heart. And so look up on the screens and follow along with me as we look at Psalm 7. Psalm 7. O Lord my God, in you do I take refuge. Save me from all my pursuers and deliver me, lest like a lion they tear my soul apart, rendering it in pieces with none to deliver. O Lord my God, if I have done this, if there is wrong in my hands, if I have repaid my friend with evil, or plundered my enemy without cause, let the enemy pursue my soul and overtake it, and let him trample my life to the ground, and lay my glory in the dust. Arise, O Lord, in your anger. Lift yourself up against the fury of my enemies. Awake for me, you have appointed a judgment. Let the assembly of the peoples be gathered about you. 
over it return on high. The Lord judges the peoples. Judge me, O Lord, according to my righteousness and according to the integrity that is in me. Oh, let the evil of the wicked come to an end, and may you establish the righteous. You who test the minds and hearts, O righteous God, my shield is with God, who saves the upright in heart. God is a righteous judge and a God who feels indignation every day. If a man does not repent, God will wet his sword. He has bent and readied his bow. He has prepared for him his deadly weapons, making his arrows fiery shafts. Behold, the wicked man conceives evil and is pregnant with mischief and gives birth to lies. He makes a pit, digging it out, and falls into the hole that he has made. His mischief returns upon his own head, and on his own skull his violence descends. I will give to the Lord the thanks due to his righteousness, and I will sing praise to the name of the Lord, the Most High. So we see a, a common theme throughout the Psalm, uh, Psalms of David here, and that's a, a prayer for justice. David's crying out for justice. Someone is, is, is wishing bad upon him, and he, he's asking that, that God would intervene on his behalf. And we talked about justice a little bit last week, and I said we, we couldn't get into it as much. We're going to get into it a little more this week. But, but David understands what many of us understand. We live in a world where there's not always justice. Uh, we live in a world where, where nations tend not to keep their treaties with one another. We live in a world where in the business world, for instance, there's a saying that there isn't a contract that can't be broken. Now, now, what's that mean? It means that a yes isn't always a yes and a no isn't always a no. It also explains why if you ever purchase a house, why you have to sign a book. It's because people have broken the contracts, and, and so they're, they're trying to fortify those things. We understand that in this world, there's not always justice, but there is a just God. But this is the reality. Where there's no justice, where there's no sense of justice or moral responsibility or accountability, society as a whole and individual relationships collapse. And that's really, when we look at it, an understanding of why the world is as it is. If there's no sense of justice, if there's you know, no moral responsibility, no, no accountability, then, then society collapses. Why? Because society is built on individual relationships. And if those relationships collapse, then there's, there's all types of calamity that happens all around us. And, and, and we understand that, and David understands that. And so that's why he prays this prayer to God. He understands that, that only God is truly just, only God is truly righteous. And so he asks God for help in the midst of what he's going through. No matter what we see in the world, there's something we got to keep in mind, especially as believers, that above all our lives in this world stands an all-powerful, eternal God. But although the world may seem chaotic at times and running out of control, and that world can either be seen as the world or even our private world, right? Can seem chaotic at times and running out of control, even though that, that may appear to be that way, that God stands above it all. And God is a righteous judge, and he always answers those who cry out to him. And so look at David's prayer. First two verses, David says, O Lord my God, in you do I take refuge. Save me from my pursuers and deliver me, lest like a lion they tear my soul apart, rendering it to pieces with none to deliver. And, 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 and I love the fact that David starts his psalm in a very personal way. It's easy to overlook it because it's so common in the psalms to, to see an introduction to the Lord this way when he says, Oh Lord, my God. 
But that term my, that, the my God, shows that David has this personal, intimate relationship with the Lord. So he's, he's crying out to the God he knows. He's try, crying out to the God that he understands knows him. His refuge is in the Lord. He flees to the Lord. And, and I love the word pictures that he gives us. This, this word he chooses for save in the Hebrew language, is, it, it means to give breath, to, 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 to give space. And, and so he's crying out to God. He's saying, look, I'm in this horrible situation. It's, 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 it's overwhelming me. You're my refuge. Would you give me air to breathe? Would you just give me breathing room? Have you ever gone through a situation where you just said, I just need to get some air? <laughs> I just need a moment to catch my breath. And that's what David's praying for here. And then the, the word picture he uses for deliver. That word deliver is a picture in the Hebrew of, of literally taking prey out of an animal's mouth. And what does he pray in the second verse? He says, deliver me, lest the lion tear my soul apart, rending it in pieces with none to deliver. He's saying, God, deliver me. Take me out of the clutches of these people who wish me harm. Give me, give me space, give me, give me air to breathe. And what I love is, even in the first two verses of the psalm, we learn something from David. We, we learn this, I think. We, we learn from David that we can call on the Lord who delivers us because of God's character. God's character. David knew we could call on the Lord because of his character, because of his being faithful and loving and willing and able to save and you may recall if you were here last week or, or watched online that I, that I spoke of the fact that, that, that we sometimes as believers, we, we don't necessarily question God's character when it comes to justice. We just question his timeline. Like we know God's in charge. We, we know in the end God's going to make everything right. We, we, we know that. We believe that. And, and maybe you're like me where I believe it, but I'm learning how to believe it, right? I trust, but I'm learning how to trust. Anyone else like that? I relate much to the, to the individual who Jesus speaks to in the Gospels. He says, do you believe? He says, yes, I believe it. Help me in my unbelief. I'm growing. I'm a work in progress. But, but I don't want to question God's character. I know he's good, but sometimes I question his timeline. And David's saying, look, I don't question God's character. I know he's faithful. I know he's, that's why he's my refuge. That's why I'm praying this prayer. Because I know he listens to those who cry out to him. And then he continues. Look at verse three. Oh, Lord, my God. If I have done this, if there is wrong in my hands, if I have repaid my friend with evil or plundered my enemy with cause, without cause, let the enemy pursue my soul and overtake it and let him trample my life and, of, of the ground and lay my glory in the dust, Selah. This is a pretty powerful statement from David. Again, you notice he calls it my God. So he's saying, Lord, you know me, I know you. You know if these things that are said about me are true or not. And he uses this very common formula. He says, if I've done this, if what these people are saying are true about me, if I've done this, then let this happen to me. Now, David's able to say that because David's known what he's not done. <laughs> he's able to stand before God and say, I haven't done these things that are being said about me. And you're a personal God who knows who I am. And so, so I want you to, to vindicate me. I want you to stand in, in my place and uh, stand up for me. Help me overcome this, this wrongful action of people speaking malicious against me. So David's with a clear conscience, calls on the Lord for vindication. And he also goes a little further. He talks about judgment in verses 6 through 8. He says, Arise, O Lord, in your anger. Lift yourself up against the fury of my enemies. Awake for me. You have appointed a judgment. Let the assembly of the peoples be gathered about you. 
over in return on high. The Lord judges the peoples. Judge me, O Lord, according to my righteousness and according to the integrity that is in me. Now, first of all, we can look at that and think that David thinks that he's perfect. But it's really not what he's saying. He's not calling on the Lord as judge, as the final judgment. He's calling on the Lord to judge this particular situation. He's saying, Lord, you know this situation. Be the judge. Do what's necessary to make sure that the truth is, is revealed here. And, and I want to pause here and, and sort of put the caveat in which David's praying this. David, by the way, isn't saying, God, you're judge, and I'm not going to make a judgment in the sense of being a doormat. And, and sometimes I think we can read some things in Scripture and think that the Lord says, well, you can't stand up for yourself. You, you can't say, well, what they're saying isn't true. David's not doing that. He's not a doormat. And, and he's not saying that if, like, maybe you're here and you're in this legal case, and He's not saying that the God who's orchestrated governments and gives legal processes that if you need to go to court, you can't go to court. And someone will say, well, someone in scripture says, well, that's a whole nother issue. David's not talking about that here. What David is talking about is a situation where, where he's, he's speaking out. He's like, I didn't do it. And this other person is saying I did it. And there's no way to really know. Only God knows. Only God can bring resolution. I don't know if you've ever been in a situation like that. But I went through a season where, where I, had, I was faced with that, where some individuals were saying things which were false, and it was one of the darkest periods of my life. And I remember one time a person made an appointment to come in. They said, hey, a friend is saying this about you. And, and I said, I don't know what to say except it's not true. <laughs> Have you ever been in that situation? And I even admitted it. I said to this person sitting across from me, I said, I, I, I can't make you believe me. This which is said is not something that's easily verified or denied. It's the reality of it is that someone's saying something and they're a friend of yours and you want to believe them and yet I'm telling you it's not true. I pray God gives you clarity. And that's what David's doing here. He's in that position where he's like, I don't know what to say. I can't do anything, but I know there's a God who's large and in charge. In Romans 12, 19, this is what does David understands. He says, beloved, never avenge yourself, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will pay, repay, says the Lord. And so what David is doing, what he's choosing to do is, is trust in God rather than defend himself. And what I mean by defend himself is to return in like. So in that situation I described, I had an option. One, I have many options. One of the options could be, well, I could start rumors about the other person. Well, you think that's a bad rumor. Wait till you see what I come up with about you. How many of you think God would be honored by that? Uh, if you've heard me, if you've been around here for a while, you, you've heard me say this, but I learned a long time ago that I can defend myself. I mean, that's always an option. But then I got to do things my way or I can let God defend me and do things his way. And I've learned over time that when I do it my way, my way doesn't work well. It doesn't ever bring the success that I want. But God's way does. Not always in my timing. Not always the way I want it to. But he does. He is faithful and true. And so it's, David's talking against his feelings of revenge that can, that can overcome the, the, the sense of God's character and overcome the understanding of God's love. And he's saying, I'm not going to do that, God. I'm going to place this all in your hands and trust in you. God placed the judgment in the hands of the ultimate judge, God himself. And it's important to be mindful of that, 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 that that's what David's doing. He's not presenting himself as sinless before God. 
He isn't saying, do this, God, because you know I'm perfect. If you know anything about the life of David, that's just not true. No, he's not saying that. He's saying, but in this situation, Lord, I'm innocent. And the only way I'm going to be vindicated is through you. And again, it may seem odd that David asked God to judge him. That's what he's saying. He's saying, judge me, God. But David knows he didn't do it. He's saying, so God, you know it. Look at this situation. You know I'm innocent. David's not putting blinders on his eyes either. He's not, he's not saying to God, look, I, I, I've, I've handled every situation in my life perfectly. In other words, he's not, he's not calling God to do this because of David's righteousness, even though he calls that statement of righteousness. He means it this one situation. But he's not saying that David says, in and of himself, I'm righteous, I'm, I'm all that. He's saying, God, by your righteousness, by your faithfulness, by your character, would you intervene here? And he has this personal relationship with the living God that all of us, all of us, are able to experience through Jesus Christ. This personal relationship that says, God, I'm going to trust you in this. And then we read, look at verse 9 through 13. Oh, let the evil of the wicked come to an end. And may you establish the righteous. You who test the minds and hearts, O righteous God. My shield is with God who saves the upright in heart. God is a righteous judge and a God who feels indignation every day. If a man does not repent, God will wet his sword. He has bent and readied his bow. He has prepared for him his deadly weapons, making his arrows fiery shafts. How many of you think that's pretty, pretty descriptive language there? I, I read that and, and I'm like, oh, wow, David's really getting at it. You know, and, and he is. And, and, and the reality of it is this type of, understanding within American churches is sort of falling away because no one wants to hear that God is angered by sin. Like, it's just not popular. No one wants to hear that. So many of the messages that we hear uh, are, are ones that say, you're okay. And, and here's the reality. If you're okay, Jesus wouldn't have died on the cross. Like, he didn't do it for little things. He did because there's this big problem. It's a sin problem. The wage of sin is what? Help me out, church. Death. Now, I know we don't like memorizing that. That's not what we quote before we go into an important meaning. But, it, but it's a reality. It's a reality. It's a, it's, it's a gospel truth. And so we need to understand that there is a judgment. And, and, and David's talking about that judgment. He, he's saying, look, there's going to be an ultimate judgment. We who place our lives in God's hands, we, we, don't, we, we need to trust him. And, and we don't have to fear that judgment because Jesus paid, paid the price for us. He took his, our judgment upon himself. But he's saying there is a judgment for those who don't know Christ. In fact, that's why we as believers are, are so, so bent on making sure that people know the gospel. Because without Jesus, there isn't hope. But with Jesus, there is. We believe that. Come on, church, right? And so that's what we're about. And so when people say, why are you always talking about Jesus? Because he is all that. He's worthy of that discussion. He's worthy of turning to. And David's making that really clear. In fact, I love the fact that he's not just, he's not just casting, he's not saying God's sick him. It seems like he is, right? And, and, and we've all been there. Let's face it in our prayers where we're like, oh, Lord God, I know you love us. They're picking on me. Sick them. But that's not really what David's doing here. Now, how do we know that? Because we see David's heart when he says, but Lord, you're merciful for those who repent. Any here understand God's mercy? His forgiveness, his love. And so David's actually in, in his prayer. He's saying, Lord, Man, if he repents, if this person who's speaking bad about me, these people who are speaking bad about me, the ultimate good would be if they just repented and turned to you. 
Many, many years ago when I was a student in student ministry, I had a situation with a friend who was speaking badly about me. And uh, I, I, was, I was mad. I was mad. There's no other way to say it. I was trying to make it sound better, but I was really ticked off. And, and I went to this leader, and they said, you need to pray about it. And I said, I have, and God hasn't, <laughs> hasn't struck him yet. And uh, that was my prayer. I, I, was, I was a young believer, and that's sort of what I was praying. You know, God, you're for me, not against me. He's sort of against me. Wipe him out. And, and it wasn't happening. And, and my, and my uh, student leader said, why don't you pray for him, not against him? Whew, you're all saying amen, but I'll tell you what, that hit me. I was like, holy ouch, uh, you know, uh, I, how do I do that? And he started to instruct me and said, just pray that God would have mercy on him, that, that he would turn to the Lord, that, all right. Can I be honest with you? That first prayer was really hard. The second one was really hard. The third one was really hard. It took me a while, but my heart began to change. My heart began to change toward him. In fact, I began to defend him because he was speaking badly about other people too. And when people would say, you know, he shouldn't do that, and they were speaking the way I did before that conversation with this adult leader, all of a sudden I found myself saying, we don't know what's happening within him. Let's pray for him. Let's pray that he, he finds security in Christ. So he's not. It was crazy. And you say, Craig, you're such a good person. No, 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 trust me. It was so opposite of who I am. It's what happens when the Spirit of God is allowed to take over. You know, it's not my path. Again, it's, it's God's path. And I began to feel peace even though he wasn't changing in my timetable. And my prayer was less that I was okay, but that he was okay before God. That's what David's praying. He's like, this is what awaits these people if they don't turn to God. Then look what he writes in, in verses 14 through 16, part of his prayer here. He says, behold, the wicked man conceives evil and is pregnant with mischief and gives birth to lies. He makes a pit, digging it out, and falls into the hole that he has made. His mischief returns upon him on his own head, and on his own skull, his violence descends. See, David understands something that I think many of us in this room have experienced, that sometimes God uh, executes his judgment by just letting sin take its course. Ever been there? Ever been making bad decision after bad decision and probably even knew there were bad decision after bad decision and you found yourself in a bad place after bad place and you say, God, why have you done this to me? Come on. And the Lord said, I didn't have to do anything. You've done this. I think sometimes as Christians, we give the devil more credit than he's due. We say, well, the devil did this to me. And the reality is, no, we made this decision. And the devil's like, I'll take credit for anything you want to give me credit for. But it's us, right? We made a bad decision after a bad decision, and, and the consequence of our sin, God says, that's my executed judgment. You don't have joy, you don't have peace. You're not experiencing my, my overwhelming presence. And, and David understands that. That's what he's saying. He's saying they, they dug this pit, and, and that pit was made for David, but he says, I trust that they're going to fall into it. That they're going to fall into it. And, and in both situations, the one in high school and the one many years later, uh, where people were, were, were just speaking these untruths about me, I found that to be true. But ultimately, they were found out. They, they, their character was revealed. And I didn't have to do anything but trust. And then by the way, I could do nothing but trust, except mess the situation up worse. It's difficult to see at times that there, but there's judgment for, for, for people in history, especially when it doesn't hit our timeline. And yet the reality of it is God is true. People 
their evil will not last forever. We understand this. I, I think of, for instance, you know, in, in the New Testament, we, we, you read about Caesar and, and Caesar, the, they, they thought they were gods. They thought their kingdoms were going to last forever. Guess what? There's no Roman Empire today. Done. And I think of the Christians who probably prayed, right? And said, Lord, you know, this is unjust and, and, and this is just lasting forever. I mean, the empire lasted for hundreds of years. And, and all of a sudden, can you imagine the believers who were like, oh, we're at the time where it's ending. <laughs> Judgment has come. God has a new plan. And, and so this is, this is what David understands. And this is really what we, we can learn from David is that, that David teaches us that God is the true judge who vindicates his own. He judges the unrepentant, but this is the good news. He gives mercy to those who repent and turn to him. And there's something powerful that when we can look at the world around us that's that's unjust and say, Lord God, help them repent so they can turn to the Lord. Help these people who are doing evil turn to you. Either take them or convert them. Amen? Do something in their life, God. And here's the problem, and I think it's with all of us. I'm not saying it's your problem. It's something I've wrestled with. I'm just thinking we might share this problem. Is sometimes there's certain people in the world we just don't want to believe God can save. It's getting quiet in here. There's a sometimes there is, right? We're like, they've done so much harm. They've done so much. I don't want to believe God can save. But listen, the God who spoke to the world in existence can save anyone who repents and turns to him. That's the good news. Because again, the wage of sin is... But the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. And I'm so thankful that whatever the line that we usually put up in our mind of, this is the line of no return. God can't save these people. I'm glad that, that, that that's not true because you might place a line here and maybe I was here. See, it's okay to, when we think someone else is unsavable, but we wouldn't want to think we're not. Or maybe that's the lie that the enemy is telling you right now and you believe that you've done too much that God can't redeem you. And if anything we see in this psalm is is David's prayer of saying there's no one unredeemable except for someone who doesn't turn to the Lord. David says that that would be the best if he would just turn to you. And I I love what happens to David in his prayer here. Because I'll be honest, it's a rough prayer up to this point. Don't you think? It's raw. It's one of the reasons why I like studying through scripture. It keeps us honest. You know, in in the fall, we're going to study through James. And can I be honest with you? There's a few parts of James I'd just rather not preach. So okay for me to say that? I just did. But you would know it because we'd be skipping over it. It keeps us honest. There's parts of James I'm sure none of you have underlined and put as your life verse. But they're powerful and needed to be studied because all of scripture is useful for us to grow in godliness. Amen, church? To love like Jesus, to, to care like Jesus, to know who he is. And, and so David prays this, I would call a rough prayer. Then verse 17, verse 17. I will give to the Lord the thanks due to his righteousness. And I will sing praise to the name of the Lord, the most high. He prays all this. He lays it at God's feet. And, and we can see it happening. And maybe this has happened in your life. I know it has in mine. Where I'm focused on this terrible situation. And I'm so focused on it. I, I'm not seeing the glory of God. And then, and then I'm giving it to him. I'm praying. I'm saying, Lord, have your way. Have your way in me. And the spirit of God lifts me up. And all that I've seen God's glory. And all of a sudden that situation doesn't, see over, doesn't seem so overwhelming. In the face of God. 
It's like that's what happens to David. David's praying this prayer. His heart's hurting. He's, he's not sure what to do. He trusts in God's character. I'm not sure. He's sort of saying, God, your timeline, please let it be now. But if he can, all this stuff. But then he looks up. He's praying to God, my God, that personal God. And what does he do? He worships. He worships. God, you're in control. You're larger than charge. Your word is true. You are for me. You're not against me. And you're a good, good God. I will sing to the name of the Lord Most High. And lastly, I'm sure we can get a lot of lessons from this psalm, but the one that really jumps out at me is this. We learn from David that God is our resolution in distress. He's our resolution, not ourselves. And before him, we ought to sing praises that this is the proper response to a God who hears and answers. It's a powerful reality. But even in the midst of, of such negativity that we can praise the Lord, and I'd be amiss if I didn't see Christ in this psalm. I do, I see Christ in this psalm. I, I see Christ in this psalm in the fact that he's the only person who was ever perfect. And, and when he's wrongly accused, beaten, beaten, tortured, the scripture says he was beaten so badly that you wouldn't even recognize who he was. That he didn't speak a word in his defense. He went to the cross willingly to die for our sins. To be resurrected for our salvation. He did this. So that any of us who go through difficult times can know how committed God is to us. How powerful he is to save and that we can trust him, that, he, that we can come to God and know he's our deliverer because of God's character. He's faithful, loving, willing to save. We can trust that he's the one that vindicates us. And yes, he judges the unrepentant, but he has mercy even today for someone who turns to him. That he's our resolution and so worthy of our praise. And so I ask you this morning, do you feel misunderstood? Maybe you're going through a situation much like David's and you're like, who do I turn to? Turn to your God. Trust in his character. Let him show up in your life. He may not not work on your timeline. In fact, let me tell you, he very seldom does. (laughs) But I've learned that his timeline is perfect. He's true. If you've yet to receive Christ as Lord and Savior, I want to encourage you this morning to do that. It's never too late. It doesn't matter what you've done. It's all based upon what Christ has done. He died for us. And so if you've yet to receive him as Lord and Savior, why not this morning? Turn to the God of David. Turn to our Lord. Turn to your Lord. Wherever you find yourself this morning, just know this. God is present. He's present. He's a God of mercy. He's a God of second, third, and hundred chances. And he's faithful to his people. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for allowing us to sort of look into this prayer of David. Thank you that you saw fit to have it recorded for us so we could see the the rough honesty of what David was going through. So we could be mentored by him. And ultimately through him, in your word, you're our divine mentor. As we look at the scriptures, that it's living and active, meaning that, that you use it to form us into the people you've called us to be. You use it to reveal yourself, to draw us closer to you. 
But as David called you his Lord, that there's not a reason in the world that none of that any of us in this room can cannot do the same. Anyone who's watching online, that the opportunity for them to be able to call you their Lord is, is always there, that you're a merciful God waiting for people to turn to you. And if there's anyone who's yet to receive you as Lord and Savior, God, I pray in this moment, the quietness of their heart, they would take that step of faith. They say, Lord, thank you for dying for my sins, being resurrected for my salvation. Put me on the right path. And Father God, for anyone in this room who maybe even at this moment is going through a situation like David's and wondering, how, how do I deal with this? I think David showed us a powerful way to do it. A way that ultimately leads us to have the ability of it, even in the midst of the difficulties of life, to worship you. To be able to say that, that my God is good. Lord, you know I haven't been able to speak much to my wife who was on that Zambia mission trip, but we've been texting back and forth. And for whatever reason, that these words that she typed to me, uh, that she texted to me, just ring so much at this moment. She said, Craig, I, I was at church this morning and they have so little and praise God so much. Lord, would you give us that perspective today? And as you've blessed us in this gathering, may we go into our communities, Lord God, as we scatter, taking the good news that in Jesus, we have so much more than this world could ever offer. Deliverance, salvation, the blessing of God's mercy. And with David, we say, Lord, we worship you. We worship you. In Jesus' name, amen.